Hi there, Dickens Olewe here. Thanks for checking in. This interview is part of a 10-part special series about how the media in Africa covers politics, governance, and elections. With my guest, we'll explore the challenges and ideas of how journalism can support, not undermine democracy. So look out for the other interviews on your podcast feed. Let me know what you think about the series. Okay, here's the pod. Enjoy. I think what is very important is to have media houses that can analyze the landscape uh, correctly and then allow uh, the voters uh, to reach their own decisions about how elections go. I'm Laura Nitti, I'm the Executive Director for the Alliance for Community Action. It's an NGO in Zambia. We work primarily around public finance accountability. So encouraging the public to uh, ask targeted questions about decisions made um, with public money. The election in Zambia has inspired many across Africa. The opposition obviously defeated uh, an incumbent, uh, which is rare in our continent. And the man who won did so uh, on his sixth time of running for office. I'm curious about your assessment of how the local media covered the election. In the run-up to the election, um, the civic space was very shrunken, as was the media space. And so it, it really depended on which side uh, of the spectrum the media house fell. So the, the, you had, for example, the public broadcaster that was a veritable campaign tool for the ruling party. So you only heard about the ruling party, campaign messages, even in the news, the news became a campaign message. And if you ever heard about the uh, opposition parties, it was to criticize them. Then you had uh, independent uh, media houses that tried uh, their best to be somewhat balanced. But then again, there were some that then uh, vacillated to the other end uh, of the continuum and were very um, critical of the ruling party. And again, were essentially campaigning uh, for the opposition party. And and then uh, a couple tried to be in the middle. And then it also has to be uh, uh, noted that uh, the ruling party was uh, very oppressive of the media space. So Prime TV, that uh, for a couple of years um, ahead of the election, had become the primary uh, source of news and most popular uh, TV station was, was closed, was shut down, really for no other reason other than that it was providing an alternative space to opposition voices uh, to, to, to speak to the nation or, 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 or to be heard uh, in a way that the national broadcaster could not. And then it had uh, wide reach, very quickly having much larger numbers than the national broadcaster. Was there uh, enough debate about the various manifestos uh, of the, uh, uh, you know, the candidates running for office? You know, be it the president, be it the uh, the MPs or the local councillors. Was there enough public information uh, in the media uh, in ways in which you can say that the public was informed about? Uh, the different uh, political fa- parties and their manifestos? No, not really. This election was not about um, manifestos. So yes, we heard about the PF manifesto, we heard about the UPND manifesto. I doubt very much that anybody going to the vote was thinking about those manifestos. 
But yes, there were launches of, of the manifestos. Um, but I think this was, this, this was such a crucial election. It felt like voters had just picked a side. And when they picked, and when they picked that side, uh, it, was, it, it was either the voter thought the ruling party should continue for their own reason, or they thought that the ruling party had messed up so badly they wanted change. And then they chose which vehicle they thought would bring that change, who was most likely to defeat the ruling party, and they voted for them. And, and can you talk a little bit about those issues? What are those issues that the public felt that had to be addressed and therefore Kainde Chalema became the candidate that will bring you know that kind of change that they want? And, and were those issues also reflected in the media coverage? I think the most important issues um, were cutter violence. So the PF had allowed uh, runaway lawlessness among its youth groups, so-called cutters. And so there was violence in the market um, and uh, bully tactics, really. Just uh, So the cutters could go into the market, collect illegal taxes from uh, those vending in the markets, from minibus drivers, and then they were just, just lawless drive on the wrong side of the road, beat up people, and there were no consequences because you could not report them. And these were widely reported on the local media? These were reported, but you you you, t- you tended to see them mostly on social media, videos. Mm-hmm. So uh, shared videos, uh, I think, were the uh, way in which you heard most about violence. But, but or for example, you would never hear about it on, on the national broadcaster. And if you did, it... Um, it was a case of a false equivalence between uh, UPND violence and PF violence. Because for the last five years, this uh, ruling party violence was growing. And uh, at a certain point, it looked like the UPND also began to militarize its own young people. But it, but it was always clear that if the ruling party, and especially the president, wanted to end this violence, he could because the Zambian presidency is very, is very powerful. But for some reason, he just would never speak against violence or even acknowledge that there, that there was this runaway violence by his cadres and just uh, lawlessness. So you, 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 uh, it was discussed a lot, but uh, mostly in um, social media publications, the kind of publications for which you always need to triangulate before you believe them. All right, so mm-hmm. so you have a, you have a whole plethora of them, but and like for example, seeing a story on the national broadcaster or any of the uh, national um, broadsheets, so the the national newspapers. Once you see a story there, unless it's propaganda, you know it has happened. You see, uh, so you don't need to, to to double check. While with most online publications. You have to wait a while before you're sure whether what is being reported is true. But that is where most of the public ended up. Uh, that's what most of the public ended up depending on for news. Now, other than Cadiz, there was, of course, corruption. So the runaway corruption by the, uh, the, the, the PF government was another issue. And again, it had been over years. So there was scandal after scandal. Mm-hmm. The scandals were very well reported by, for example, News Diggers. So News Diggers is an online paper that also has a, a publication that is generally very well trusted. I think they can be credited for having pushed the stories on corruption, did some 
really impressive um, uh, investigative uh, work. And they could come up with very solid stories that would be denied for a while, but would always end up being true. And did you say it's only an online publication? It just was a print version. They were very good. For example, one of the biggest scandals in the run application was one so-called honeybee, where $17 million uh, was spent by a... Um, a service provider, as it were, that was unregistered. So the contract was given to a company that was not registered. And this company subsequently delivered uh, substandard medication, medical equipment, condoms, and, and that kind of thing. It was reported, I think, for a month or so by news diggers before it was finally picked up. And it was picked up, it became a huge scandal because then it went to parliament, parliamentary accounts committee, and be, and, and and fueled uh, citizen anger to a very large extent. I think in the last uh, five years, I think there were two cases that fueled citizen anger to that extent. It was that the honeybee one and the 42 fire trucks uh, bought for one million apiece. You came across uh, two Afrobarometer surveys, uh, both published in 2019. So one said 67% of Zambians support democracy and the other said 54% of Zambians think the government should have a right to prevent the media from publication. So what does the recent election tell us about these views? I would expect that if you ask an, a person on the street whether people should be free to say whatever they want, they'll say no. But even if you're not insulting the president, let's say you're a critic of the president, should people be free to criticize the president? You probably get a sense that, you know, no, the, pres the president is the father of the nation kind of thing. Mm -hmm. At the same time, Democracy, I think, is close to Zambian hearts. So they, if, if by democracy you mean that those in power serve at the pleasure of the voter, so the voter should have a, five, a, a period every five years to hire who they mm -hmm. want to run the country. And when that happens, you find then Zambia has become, again, very deferring. You know, this is the president where you criticizing here, you know, that kind of thing. But I think one thing that has, was shown by this election is that when Zambians then decide that uh, the president is not, or the party, the ruling party is not running the country in the best interest of the country, they reserve the right to replace him. Interesting. And what about the media part? I mean, why, why would there be... Uh, such strong support for the a government role in pretty much the editorial process. There's a sense of um, sensitivity almost to criticism of power holders. It's, 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 it's almost an African thing. The same way that a child should be very careful what they say to their dad. That's how it is. So if you ask them, do you think there should be a free press? They'll say yes, I suppose. Do, do you think what people say should be regulated? They'll also say yes. It's a complicated picture. Very complicated picture. So for example, if you ask them, should citizens be told if there's corruption? They'll say yes. Okay. So, so control of the media, I think, is usually on the side of criticism of those in power, especially if that criticism is, 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 is sharp. Okay, so, uh, but I think Zambians also want to, to hear balanced news. So the new president deliberately and very happily uh, praised the media in his victory speech, uh, you know, pledging to uphold their freedom to report. So how does the media remain focused on holding power to account instead of, of obviously uh, being seduced by 
the government saying the right things. You know, there, for example, many uh, undemocratic laws which remain in the books, like the Public Order Act, so which have obviously been used to crack down on dissent. So, how does the media extricate itself from, uh, you know, kind of aligning with the government that is essentially saying what they want to hear? Oh, that's a, I think that's a very uh, important question to answer. It's not only the media, it's civil society too. The whole country needs to kind of get over its uh, days. You know, they, 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 people, for the first time in at least for a long time, so I, I, I hear a media that praises the president, loves him. And it's not... The psychophancy that we had before, it's, 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 it's really a sense of, we think we like this president. But I think we need to be very careful. And it's something that I've been raising, that this happened before with President Monawasa. Although President Monawasa, it was different in that he grew on the public. He was initially highly disliked and highly criticized. But by the time he was coming into his second term, I think he had grown into his own and people really liked him. But President Banawasa, one of the mistakes he made is exactly what you're saying, failing to uh, repeal uh, unjust laws, undemocratic laws, and to strengthen institutions. And so we found ourselves where you had a president who considered himself good, in the same way that this president considers himself good. And in this case, you even have a public who think this is a this is a benevolent president at the very least, and can very easily forget that one, we are very, you know, you could lose your president in so many ways. Either he loses power or something. You never you just never know. And one of what we need most of presidents that we consider uh, on the side of the public or on the side of human rights is, is to institutionalize that human rights. How does the media keep the government accountable to its promises? So the, the, the media must demand, like you say, the repeal of the Public Order Act, the passing of the uh, access to information law, the uh, the repeal of the cyber security law at the very minimum. Then you have issues like the separation, institutionalizing and, and uh, the separation of powers so that it does not matter that it is HH in, in, in office, but our very laws and constitution ensure that whoever is in office, even HH himself, is uh, not doing the public a favor when uh, he does not, when, when, when the police uh, do not arrest citizens that gather. It is because HH is constrained by the law. You've just mentioned the access to uh, information uh, bill, uh, which has been discussed and has kind of been promised. How do you see this advancing democracy and accountability uh, in Zambia? And how, and how can the media use it? One of the biggest problems we had uh, in the last seven years was a, a, a government that just denied everything. You know, like uh, certain information is coming up now that we all knew was true. So you spent 42 million on factors. No, we haven't. People are being gassed. Does government have, have a hand in this? No, they isn't. Uh, the, the president took a hundred people with him to New York and they, and they hired uh, uh, a cruise. No, they didn't. So it was just 
denial, denial, denial. You see, so what the access information law does is gives the media and the public ability to carry out the kind of investigation to come out with evidence that helps you them to hold government to account. And it's not only even on matters that are, as it were, critical of government. Uh, there's just everyday research. In Zambia, you can go to a school and say, how many pupils do you have in this school? And the headmaster will say, I need a letter from the PS, uh, permanent secretary in Lusaka to, to, for me to give you that information. How many people have you vaccinated at this clinic? I need a letter from the PS. You see, so even just academic research can be can be very difficult in the absence of not only the access to information law, but a culture of unnecessary secrecy. So what the access to information law does is actually lift this unnecessary secrecy on information that's really not even harmful. Mm-hmm. And c- can you talk a little bit more about what you do? The Alliance of Community Action works uh, to to institutionalize the right to accountability, as we call it. So we try to inculcate in the Zambian public a routine demand for accountability on the decisions that are made on, with public resources by those in power. So, and this is not only finance, because when we talk about public resources, we take a broad view of it. So the constitution is a public resource, democracy is a public resource, our youth are a public resource. So citizens, uh, uh, historically in Zambia have had this uh, kindly benefactor view of power holders. So the power holder will come and sink a borehole or build a school and and and, and quite uh, uh, straightforwardly claim that they've done this from their own pocket or, or that they, they should themselves be thanked. But even going beyond that, uh, reaching the point where citizens understand that they deserve a minimum level of service delivery that reflects the full resources available to the state. Again, you can have a public that, we can have a, a government that's, that's stealing uh, or robbing the citizen mindless, but citizens are thankful because they do not know their ownership of the resources. So what we do is work mostly downwards. You know, like we try to get ordinary citizens, different demographies, young people, women, maybe the less educated to understand their right to, to service, to quiet service delivery, but also to link their vote to services so that when they walk into the booth every five years, that is an accountability event. They are asking themselves, am I happy with what's happened? Am I happy with the services? If they are not, they should vote the government out. If they are, they should reward them with another term. Essentially, that's what we do. Um, I mean, we started by just talking about how Zambia has uh, inspired, you know, several African countries by how it conducted its its elections. Um, But I'm just curious about what can other media organizations and journalists on the continent learn from the Zambia ex- experience, just in terms of reporting elections, um, I mean, I'm sure you know there, there's there's some good and some bad, but probably just generally, how do should African journalists approach election reporting in ways that uh, support democracy and does not undermine it? You would hope that they, they could give a, a balanced view of of the landscape, of the political landscape. Uh, and, and the biggest problem, problem, like I said, in Zambia was was uh, how polarized uh, the reporting is. You you had journalists that were in the pockets of uh, politicians. You even knew 
traveling with the ruling party. Um, maybe all access was to them only at, at government events, that kind of thing. Media houses should never find themselves in, in that position. And so, so it, it, is, it is the place of the media to allow for the voter to, to make an informed choice. And an informed choice comes from them having analysis, news uh, that is fair. I know there's no such thing maybe as completely uh, non-partisan reporting, but I, I think what is very important is to have media houses that can analyze the landscape uh, correctly and then allow uh, the voters uh, to reach their own decision about how elections go. And then apart from that, you know, you, ha you have other contexts in which there's runaway um, violence, sometimes even electoral malpractices. Investigative journalism is very important. That kind of information should be reported. Uh, or if, even if it does not help, it's good for historical purposes. This interview is part of a 10-part special series about how the media in Africa covers politics, governance, elections, and the impact this has on democracy on the continent. If you want to subscribe to my podcast, just search for the Dickens Olewe podcast on any of the main podcast apps. Let me know what you think about the series. Reach out to me on Twitter. My handle is at Dickens Olewe. Until next time, bye-bye.